Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are very grateful for you joining us today and we're really looking forward to this conversation. Empty nesters and empty nester friends, if you're wondering about how to master your financial future, this is the podcast for you. Yes, we are excited and very honoured to welcome today Mr. Paul Benson. Yes, Paul has been helping Australians achieve their financial goals for over 20 years. In 2017, he created the Financial Autonomy Podcast, centred on an observation that what we all really want is choice in life. That might be a choice as to when we retire, a choice as to where we live, maybe a choice on how many hours we put into income-producing activity, or perhaps choice in what we do to generate more income. The podcast led to a book deal which is helping Paul reach even more Australians achieve their version of financial autonomy. It was launched only a couple of weeks ago and has already been getting great reviews. The book is called Financial Autonomy, the money book that gives you choice. We're really excited to have Paul on our podcast. Welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks very much for having me on, guys. Thank you. It is our pleasure and our honour to have you, Paul, come onto our podcast as our guest. We met you over a Zoom conversation and both Mark and myself were inspired to invite you to come on as our guest because we have not yet in the 24 or so podcast episodes that we've launched spoken about money. And so who better than to invite you to come on to add value to our Empty Nester audience. So thank you. Well, thank you for reaching out and getting in touch. And yeah, at the moment, even if we wanted to catch up in the flesh, it would be a bit difficult with all the COVID restrictions and borders closed and that sort of things, wouldn't it? The electronic catch-ups is the way to go for the time being. Yeah. So look, thank you for that introduction. Yeah. As you touched on, I guess the real focus of the last few years has been this financial autonomy initiative, which is as a podcast and, and a weekly email and now a book. And I'm really having a lot of fun with it. And I really think, you know, the central theme around that, which you touched on, is around gaining choice. And I guess having worked mm-hmm. with clients for, for 20 odd years, I guess I came to sort of recognize that that was actually the thing, you know, that when we train to become a financial planner, often, uh, for instance, the focus might be, right, Mr. Client, when do you want to retire? At what age do you want to retire? And, and mm-hmm. they'll throw out 
a number, 63 or 65 or something like that typically. Um, but increasingly I found when you work with clients over an extended period of time that then we get to that age and actually uh, I'm pretty happy to keep working or alternatively three years prior to that, no, can't stand it anymore, I want to quit, all right? And, and, and so we do all these plans but the reality is that people very often, they don't know exactly when they want to retire. As an example, there are other important life things as well, but I guess that's the one that we initially focus on typically. And so really a better question is around when do you want to have the choice? So again, just thinking about that retirement, rather than trying to nail down a particular age, just say, well, I want to have the option. I want to have the choice at, let's say 60, that I could retire if I wanted to. Now, it may be that I'm enjoying it. I like the social interaction, whatever and therefore I'm going to keep working, but I don't want to have to work. And mm -hmm. so that, that's sort of a better way. And, and, and I think it ties in really nicely with the focus that you guys have got around the empty nesters because I think it's a great stage of life to be thinking about, well, what choices do we want to have? You know, whilst you're raising kids and school fees and feeding teenagers and all that sort of stuff. I know you guys have been through it and I'm in the midst of it right now. There's not a lot of choice because you've got a, you know, roof over the head and, and food on the table. But, yeah. but at that point of empty nester, there are choices that you could make and different move house and travel and all sorts of different things. Maybe mm -hmm. change your work. You know, it does create those opportunities, but I guess you've got to take deliberate action to make that happen. And obviously that's what you guys are helping people with. But mm -hmm. I think the financial element is obviously an important part of being able to pursue those interests, pursue those choices. Absolutely. Like you said, Paul, it's an opportunity for empty nesters to redesign their lives, reignite their dreams and get clear on a compelling future that they want for themselves. However, we find many empty nesters can become blocked by their worries around their finances and they can find themselves unable to move forwards, afraid of the future and sadly extinguishing their dreams. What we hear is things like, I can't, I can't because I don't have the money or um, I don't know how to make more money. So from what I understand, what you do, Paul, as a financial planner, it centers around education, educating people around choice and then helping them with strategies as to how to move forwards, what to do. Is that right? Yes, yeah, spot on. So I think, you know, a few things there. The starting point has to be clarity around goals and what it is mm -hmm. you want to do. So whether you do it working with someone like an advisor like myself or you just do it, you know, reflecting yourself or with your partner, but really thinking about what we want and getting some clarity around goals, it's amazing how many people don't um, do that. Uh, and, you know, within the book, we talk about a bit of a process there around prioritisation too, which people often find very useful. So, mm -hmm. so I think, first of all, yeah, that clarity is really important and then... And then you can start to sort of work back and say, all right, well, if that's our number one goal, how's that going to happen? And most often there'll be some sort of cost associated. Perhaps it's travel and therefore you need airfares and bits and pieces or if it's retirement or something like that, there's usually there is a, a money angle to it. So if you're clear on the goals, you can work backwards on, well, all right, here's the numbers, the dollars that are going to be required to make that a reality. And then it's, all right, well, how do we sort of bridge that gap? Is it a case of tightening up on the cash flow and increasing our savings or, you know, for a longer term goal, maybe it's building up some investments, these type of options. That does make sense. So from our experience, Paul, we know that financial planners provide strategies and plans to help their clients to manage and increase their finances, something that is unfortunately not taught in schools. 
And um, as a result of that lack of education, there are many adults in the empty nester age group who have not developed empowering beliefs around money. And for many, the topic of money stirs up fear, anxiety, not understanding how to use money as an ally along their life journey. And as well as that, we hear from empty nesters who say that they would not go to a financial planner as they wouldn't know who to trust. Can you please talk to how you help people to overcome those fears? Yeah, so I think it helps the fact that I put out a podcast every week. So therefore, Mm -hmm. potential customers, clients can hear me every week and can get a bit of a sense of, yeah, this guy's on the same page as me or not, right? So, so to some extent, they can kind of interview me <laughs> by listening to some podcasts. And I think that certainly helps. And so that the people that decide to have a chat with us, they know what they're going to get to a certain extent, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so that certainly helps. I guess otherwise, I mean, a, a lot of our clients would come to us via referral mm-hmm. from existing clients. So that helps. And so, you know, obviously... Your listeners don't don't necessarily need to come to us, but if they are looking for a financial advisor, probably a good place to start is to ask some friends who they work with and see if there's someone that's a good a good fit, someone that they would recommend. And then I guess on that um, that sort of worry, that stress element, because you're right, they're very intertwined. I think that is where having a relationship with a financial planner tends to add value for people. Is that sense, even if they don't necessarily understand everything about the finances they don't really need to because they've just got a confidence that that's all right i don't need to worry about that because paul's across it and therefore mm-hmm. they can sleep easy so dealing with the stressful or the worrying element of money for some people at least could be resolved by them having a relationship with a financial planner they trust mm-hmm. and, and therefore they need to find a financial planner that they can trust uh, yeah. and so usually recommendations are probably a pretty good way to go Otherwise, listen to some podcasts. (laughs) That's what I like about what you do, Paul, with your podcast. You've had over a three-year period, over 159 podcasts so far. That's right. That's one a week where you're educating people on finances. And you cover so many varied topics from how to master your finances after divorce, how to become financially wealthy as a single person, Um, what to do when a family member needs aged care. So much of your wisdom and the education that you provide is things that people have never experienced or learned. You know, the majority of people see money as something they have to have to be successful. Yet what you teach is that it's not the amount of money that you have that makes you successful. It is about knowing what success is for you first, then working with money to help you achieve that unique success that you dream about. Yeah, well put, Michelle. And part of that is, again, sort of quantifying clarity on the goals that we spoke about earlier, quantifying what it is you need. And then, for instance, a choice for a lot of people, particularly in that empty nester phase, might be, I'd like to cut back to three days a week work or you know something mm-hmm. other than nine to five, Monday to Friday. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make that a reality, then what you need is a good sense of, well, how much does it cost me to live? And is there room to change that, for instance? Now, maybe it's change it up because I want to do more travel, but maybe it's change it down because actually 
there's things that we're spending money on that we don't need to. And I'm certainly not advocating a, a frugal, you know, rice and beans lifestyle by any stretch, but it doesn't hurt to reflect sometimes. And particularly, you know, motor vehicles to me is one that I often see people waste money on, that they feel the need to get the new lease and, and drive the latest car when their five-year-old car would have been totally fine, right? So there's potentially, depending on your objectives, opportunities like that where you can go, all right, well, Instead of it costing us $80,000 a year to live, maybe we can get that down to $60,000 a year. And if we can achieve that, then I don't need to work five days a week. I can work three days a week. So again, it's start with the goals and then work back. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Paul, you touched on the purchase of a new car as an example of a, a non-essential expense. And um, we hear of some empty nesters who, after the children have left home, they splurge out on the sports car, on an expensive boat, on a new motorbike. And it's almost like they have been let out of jail and are having a celebratory spend. And um, what we do know is that many of these empty nesters are unconsciously filling the gap that has been left um, behind with you know the, the children having left and they're replacing it with temporary material items which brings us back to being crystal clear on what the long-term dreams are exploring who they are what success means for them so that they can prioritize what is truly important before making those decisions that can literally cause heartache as they sacrifice the financial wealth for future years. That's right. They're reducing their options, aren't they, by having spent it on the car that devalues and... Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I see this as a great synergy here. You know, I coach a lot about health and nutrition and the analogy of going out and buying, you know, the new car, the boat, the drone, the the jewelry, all those sorts of things. You know, they're all cool. However, it's it's like a sugar hit. It's it's like eating the chocolate bar, you know, drinking the soft drink. It's really only to to give you to satisfy a temporary need for a physical high. So so the spending is the need to satisfy like an emotional lack through a temporary emotional high. Does that make sense? And if you're unaware, you know, after two years or three years or five years or whatever it is, when the emotional high, you know, when it's dropped, the person's feeling low. You know, they're feeling, they're not feeling successful. They're not feeling good enough. They're, they're not feeling enough. And they, they go out and they spend again and they update the new car, you know, and the boat, whatever it might be, so, so that they start to feel important and, and it gives a feeling of significance, doesn't it? You know, I'm not advocating either way. However, it's important to understand, I think, how do you really want to experience life? What do you want to experience in, you know, like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, whatever the time might be? And then... What do I need to do to achieve these, you know, these longer term goals instead of focusing on, you know, these short term fixes, basically? Yeah. And, and on that, Mark, it's interesting. I'm sure, you, you know, you've probably done plenty of reading as I have around happiness and where we derive happiness. Um, yes. And there's no definitive, this is the answer, but an answer that, that I like and that seems to crop up a bit is that happiness is making progress towards a worthwhile goal. Right? We, we derive happiness through making progress. Whereas the happiness of buying the new sports car on the day you get it makes you really happy. But the happiness on that diminishes pretty quickly 
you know? Yeah. And it just depends. I mean, look, there are some people who are car collectors or whatever, and they get a lot of happiness out of things mm -hmm. for a long time. For sure. But I'm talking to the average person. The new mm -hmm. car brings you a lot of happiness on day one, something less on day two, and by about mm -hmm. day 10, it's just the car that takes you to the shops, you know? And um, when it gets a scratch on it, then the happiness dives right down. Correct, correct. So, yeah, so I guess part of what you're talking about there, I think, Mark, is just what's going to deliver more happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I'm guilty of it too. You know, I've I've had the sports car, I've had the motorbike. You know, and I never invested in boats though. You know, my father had one, my brother had one, and you know, people around me always seem to have boats or jet skis, those sorts of things. You know, ultimately, what I'd learned is that's the best way to own a boat, isn't it? You know, just know somebody who has a boat, and you can go out and share that time with them. But, you know, as I said, I love cars. And, and, you know, if I wanted to, I could go out and get another one. You know, go out and get another sports car, a different one, whatever whatever I wanted to do. However, I now know that I want to experience life in a different level. You know, I, I want to travel a lot more and experience life in that space a lot more. You know, when we can, you when can. this <laughs> pandemic thing, thing is over. But it's an interesting thing, isn't it? You know, as I said, you know, cars, I love design. You know, as an architect, I really appreciate design, and I see that in a lot of motor vehicles. And I love motorbikes and, and all those sorts of things. You know, look, I want to get a helicopter's license. That's one of those things. It's one of those boy things, I guess, has come back up for me again. But, look, reflecting on it, it's asking those questions. Am I really – do I really need that? Am I seeking that short-term fix, you know, that emotional fix – or, or, or am I really after something a lot bigger? It's a really good question to ask, I think. Yeah, that's spot on. So we are recording this podcast in August 2020. And um, someone listening to this podcast in three years' time will no doubt remember 2020 as the year when just about every aspect of society was affected by lockdowns, control and fear. And um, we hear of small to medium businesses that are struggling, some never to recover, people who've lost their jobs. And amongst all of this, um, so many other changes, such as a cashless society is being proposed, um, skepticism around banks, questioning about the Federal Reserve, and a lot of other questions being raised due to these uncertain times. So what do you say to your clients when they come to you with these fears? Well, I guess there's always uncertainty, right? And that's obviously a, a broad statement, but to narrow it down to investment markets, which is my area of expertise, I suppose. I know, for instance, that say a, a balanced type fund that your listeners would be familiar with in their super perhaps is likely to have a negative year about one in every five. Statistically, mm -hmm. there's enough data that that's about what it'll be. But I can't tell you whether that one negative year is next year or in three years' time. So year to year, I don't know. But I know that roughly one in five is going to be negative, four in five is going to be positive. So therefore, we can do projections. A lot of our work is financial modelling for people. So they understand how things are likely to play out over the long term. So we can do those projections and we can be reasonably confident, as long as we're conservative with our return assumptions, we can be reasonably confident that, yes, you can afford to retire or you can afford to do this or that. But I can't tell them whether next year they're going to have a 10% return or they're going to have a negative 10% return. I don't know. So there's always uncertainty. And markets going down doesn't mean that your strategy is wrong. It's mm -hmm. just normal. 
And in fact, the reason that you get a higher rate of return on particularly shares, but it applies to property too, it's just easier to see with shares. The reason that you get a higher return versus cash in the bank is to compensate you for the fact that sometimes there are negative returns. So if you didn't have the negative returns, then a return on the share market would be like putting cash in the bank. And that's not what we want. We want a higher return than that, right? So we get paid a higher return to compensate us for putting up with volatility and uncertainty. And so if you can sort of embrace that, that uncertainty is not a passing thing. It's, there's always uncertainty. Right now it's COVID, but other times it's, you know, North Korea or nuclear weapons or it's a GFC or it's Greece going bankrupt in 2010 or an earthquake in Japan or elections in the US. So there's always uncertainty. Um, the only way to avoid that really is to put all your money in the bank, I suppose. But even then, I mean, particularly at the moment, the return there is less than inflation. So you're getting progressively poorer over time. So that's not really an answer. So, um, yeah, so look, that would be thoughts around uncertainty. And probably you were touching there earlier around broader themes and government and Federal Reserve and, and all these type of things. Probably just another observation is that a big theme at the moment is the fact that interest rates have been cut all around the world and your listeners will have seen that if they've still got a mortgage, the mortgage has gone down. If they've got return deposits and these sort of things, their return is miserable. That's huge because that impacts the return expectations of everything else. So for instance, if you're investing in the share market, say through your super, for instance, if you can get 5% on a term deposit, then to put your money in shares, you're going to require maybe 10%, right? Because otherwise, if you can get 5% basically risk-free in a term deposit, well, you're not going to put it in the share market and get four, right? But if your term deposit rate, your risk-free rate is a term that gets strained around a bit, is less than 1%, which is the case now, maybe 0.6 or something like that on a six-month term deposit, mm -hmm. well, then you might be very happy if you could get 3 or 4% out of the share market. Mm -hmm. And that means that you can afford to pay quite a bit more for the shares. So that's what we're seeing now is that even during COVID and all this uncertainty, the US share market is at record highs. Australian market's lagging a little bit, but the US has just hit record highs, which seems inconsistent with what's happening in the world. Mm -hmm. But it's happening because interest rates are reducing and therefore returns are reducing. Now, the relevance of that is that whereas people in the past might have retired and figured, all right, well, I can assume my super is going to earn 7 or 8% and therefore... I can do my numbers and yep, I've got enough here to retire and it's going to last me 30 years and I'm not going to run out of money in my lifetime. But maybe instead of thinking it's going to earn 7 or 8%, what if it only earns 3%? Then you need a lot more money. And it's not like you can be retired for 10 years and then go back to work because, oh, hang on, I've got my numbers wrong and I need a bit more. <laughs> so there's a, a bit of thought and, and probably the biggest theme I think and challenge for people at the moment is just reflecting on what it means if returns in the future are considerably lower than we're mm -hmm. used to. Mm -hmm. um, and bottom line, it means either you need a higher amount of savings than you used to, or you need to work a bit longer so that the savings don't have to last as long as they used to. So yes. look, that's, that's probably the biggest issue at the minute. You know, I'm surprised actually about what you said in regards to the, the US share market being on a high. I mean, wouldn't you think that that would ease concerns if that was more publicised or, or, or promoted? All we hear is the negative side of things of the market, you know, how it's down and it's struggling and so on. Well, bad news sells, I think, you know, they, yeah, they, they exactly need right. newspapers. I mean, 
most days share markets go up, but yeah. you don't see that on the front of the paper very often. But if it goes down in a in a big way, yes. well, that's that's front front page news. You know, Absolutely. so Absolutely. yeah, that's just the nature of things. I think bad news sells. Yeah, indeed. So to ease the unrest and uncertainty and you know fear in people right that people have right now. You know, around, particularly around finances, where you know where is their money going, and you know how they're going to make money in, in these current times and, and in the future, so that they can retire and and reach their goals. You know, your book and your podcast are amazing resources. You know, and they help educate your audience on finance and really get an understanding of what they can do right now. We may have been through TAFE and Uni and all those sorts of things. But we never really, society in general, never really understood finance at its fully applicable level. So that's what I really love about what you're doing, Paul. You know, you're providing this service to the community through your podcast and through your book. So tell us a bit more about the book you've written and just recently released. Oh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks for thanks for asking. Yeah, look, it's um, uh, it's been really good fun to put together, and I guess um, it picks up on different things that we've discussed in the podcast and questions that I've had from, from listeners as well. Um, so I guess we start around that goals that we spoke about earlier, because as I say, our, our, our process is that, and, and, and thinking is that that's where you've got to start. We have a look at, at cash flow and we try and um, the, the, the subtitle of the book is the money book that gives you choice. So all the way through, we try and have different options. So in the cash flow section, we actually have six different cash flow strategies. Uh, and we have a self-assessment tool. So you can answer, it's about a dozen questions, and then that'll suggest to you, here's the cash flow strategy that we think is most likely to work for you. Uh, and so you can check that out, but it, you've got all six there. So if you read the first one and yeah, it doesn't feel quite right, you've got other options. So helping people optimize their cash flow and save more where they can. And then we move into, we, we identify three different pathways. And again, this is just through observation of working with lots of people over the years that most people gain choice either through investing in stocks or shares, investing in property or some sort of self-employment side hustle. And most people over the journey of their life will use two and, and often even all three of those pathways. But our observation is that they tend to be the pathways. Now, even I guess superannuation obviously is part of your retirement planning, but even that is typically invested in shares, for instance. So then through the book, we look at each of those pathways. Again, we have another self-assessment tool to help people identify which of those is most likely to be relevant for them right now. And so then people can sort of jump about. They may well read it cover to cover, but there's no requirement to. You can jump to the bit that's relevant for you, extract the information that's relevant. And through there, I've got different case studies from people that I've worked with just to illustrate or people that I've interviewed for the podcast as well, just to illustrate, look, here's real life examples of how people have done this, how they've made it work, because obviously everyone's circumstances is a bit different and unique. And so um, it's good to see those real life examples. And then we've also got at the back there, I've got a, a diagram of, of some journeys, myself included, and some other people that I know, just to sort of illustrate like, for instance, it might be that when you're young, initially, the pathway that you're following is investing in shares because, and it might be through a fund or something like that, but that's quite good because you've got relatively smallish amounts of money and you just want to add to it all the time, right? And then you build up some wealth that way 
and then maybe you sell those and you buy your first home sale, you buy an investment property. So then you, you know, move into that pathway and then down the road, perhaps you pay off the, the home loan a bit and maybe it goes up in value with any luck. So you've got a bit of equity in that. And then maybe the equity in that, you use that to fund, start your new business or maybe you use the equity to, to buy some shares or buy an investment property. So we've got different illustrations there of how people go through that journey because I've found that, that often people, they have it in their head that I've got to pick a side Either I'm a share investor or I'm a property investor. Uh, yes. The self-employment's a little bit different. But my observation is that that's just not accurate. There are plenty of people who do both and there's shares and property. And there's good reasons to do both because the shares are much more liquid. So if you short-term cash needs, you can sell the shares, you've got your money in three days. You can never do that with a property. But property is really good because you can borrow and use that leverage to get growth, right? So they each have their pros and cons and you don't have to pick a side. You can do both. You may not be able to do both at exactly the same time, but over your life journey, you can do both. Mm. Um, yeah. And then there's that self-employment angle, which is something that I think is maybe a little bit different from most of the money and finance books that I see. And just I've had a yeah. bit of feedback that that's something mm. that's been noticed, that yeah. most books are either they're all about shares or they're all about property, but they're not typically considering, well, how about self-employment as a way to gain choice? And I guess that's why it is a bit different because the focus is on gaining choice and not on how rich can I be? (laughs) That's amazing. I've read some of the reviews of your book and it seems to be a very easy to read and comprehensive book that highlights those three areas you just mentioned, shares, property and self-employment. The book would be a really great um, resource for our listeners to get hold of have a read and make a choice as to what resonates for them. Yeah, as I said at the start, I think it's a really good fit for your empty nester community. Yeah, because they're mm. at the point where they can really be taking action and getting into things, you know, which I know is yeah. those adventures that you guys talk about. I think it'd be a really good fit. Yeah, really useful. Yeah, for sure. You know, and there's a lot of synergy and alignment with what you're doing, what we are doing. And here's the thing just about everyone wants freedom, don't they? It's what we want. It's our base need. You know, freedom of life choices, freedom of speech, freedom of food, freedom of finances, and freedom to dream and be successful in whatever way that you want to be successful. You know, so your book on financial autonomy really speaks to that, doesn't it? Thanks, Mark. You know, and, and how we get there at the end of the day, you know, is that's how we started this conversation. It's, you know, how do we want to live? And, you know, that really encompasses everything, doesn't it? That's exactly right. Where can our listeners get hold of your book, Paul? Sure. So if they go to financialautonomy.com.au slash book, then they can order it from us direct. And the advantage of that is that it's free postage within Australia. Uh, But it is also available on all the, you know, the Amazon platforms and if people want Kindle and it's available on all that sort of stuff too. So uh, direct through us, financialautonomy.com.au slash book or just your preferred bookstore. I know some people like to support their local bookstore too, so by all means. Thank you, Paul. We'll have those details in our show notes. Wonderful. Thank you. There's one thing I'm really curious about, Paul. You spoke about the the three avenues of investment, you know, shares and property and businesses. Where are you at with, you know, Bitcoin and virtual currency as a financial investment? It's an interesting area. It provides some diversification. Again, not specifically talking Bitcoin, but those different, alternative assets, I guess, might be the the term used. Um, They can provide some stability. And certainly we've seen that with gold this year. And and indeed, I don't follow it closely, but I understand that Bitcoin's done all right this year as well. Um, 
perhaps they could have a role to play. I guess it's just a matter of understanding what it's all about. And for me, the, the issue with Bitcoin would just be a lack of regulation and a lack of security. I just couldn't get comfortable with it. Whereas if I wanted an alternative, let's say gold, it is possible to buy a uh, exposure to gold through the stock exchange. So therefore I know that it's regulated and I guess I have confidence in it. So hmm, that would be my thoughts. So Paul, you've talked about three ways people can invest and grow their wealth through shares, property and business. What about an empty nester who has never had any form of investment, has been living mostly paycheck to paycheck, may have a few savings in the bank, and is feeling a bit stuck, feel like, feels like um, they will never be able to invest and they don't really know where they will get the money. What are three strategies you can give them to help them to move forwards with their finances? Sure. So I think, as we've touched on a few times, start with clarity on your goals. So sit down, get them on a piece of paper, a whiteboard, whatever works for you. If you're in a relationship, discuss it with your partner. Get clarity on what you actually want to do and what you want out of life. So that's absolutely the foundation. I would suggest the next piece is have a look at your cash flow. So understand, right, where's our money going? Am I happy with where that's going? And whether there's any changes possible there or whether that would be worthwhile. So I guess a consideration there, for instance, might be, well, all right, we do our goals and a goal is, perhaps a goal is I want to cut down to three days a week. So then you look at your cash flow and you go, that's nice, but I can't make that work. So then maybe the consideration is, well, I can't make that work because at the moment I pay $2,000 a month on a mortgage. And so I can't cut down work whilst I've got that obligation. Therefore, perhaps you look at it and go, well, maybe I sell the home in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or somewhere and we move to the coast or country or something like that, downsize have a, a lower cost home where then we don't need to have a mortgage. And then you eliminate that $2,000 a month that you were paying on the mortgage. So therefore you don't need to earn as much mm-hmm. and therefore you can cut down to three days a week. So you're spending less than you earn, but you need to be aware of what you're doing. You need to be aware of where the money's going and, and, and have a bit of a look and a reflection. And that, that solution is not going to work for plenty of people, but I'm just giving it as an illustration of that's the sort of thing that you could look at. Maybe you stay in the same suburb, but you just get something smaller or whatever. So, um, and some people, it might be that they've got an investment property or something like that. And when they actually sit down and look at the numbers, they go, gee, well, if we sold that, we could use that to pay off the mortgage. And, you know, they give us all sorts of other options, right? So, yeah, I I think getting, getting clarity on your cash flow, aligning that to your goals is really important. Probably the other thing I would say is... It's pretty easy to to sort of suffer inertia, to struggle to to just make a start. Try your best to to overcome that. You know, look at some different options and whether you can just make relatively small investments perhaps in something, but look for opportunities to get started and build your confidence. It doesn't have to be large amounts of money if you've never invested before. Mm. Perhaps try with smaller amounts, build it up, maybe add to it each month, something like that experience those ups and downs and that'll give you the foundation to then build and add and and make progress. Mm, Thank you, Paul. That was more than three tips. So thank you. Talking about inertia, it's a place where people remain when they are in fear, when they are not clear about the future. And the thing is, hoping that things will get better is not enough, is it? On one of your podcasts, I noticed is 
um, where you discussed the importance of why. And that is key, isn't it? When you have a strong emotional connection to the reason why you want your dream, that can actually propel you out of that state of inertia. It can, it can get you unstuck. Yeah, very true. Yeah. A final question for you, Paul. Why did you get into financial planning? You're obviously very passionate about what you do. What were your reasons? It's interesting. I, I, was, I was working for a bank. So when I left school, I got a job at a bank. And then I went to uni at night over six years. And they sort of sponsored me through that. So that was really good. And so I did a few different roles there initially in the branch. And then their finance company arm. And then I did a, I got into a sort of an analyst type role in head office, which particularly whilst I was studying was sort of, I viewed it as the dream job. That was where I really thought I wanted to go. And it was essentially sitting in front of screens and playing with Excel spreadsheets all day. And when I got that role and I did it for a while, I discovered that I'm not enjoying this so much. (laughs) So then I had to have a bit of a reflection on what have I enjoyed over my career to that point? And, and I realized that I liked interacting with people and that just sitting, looking at a screen and, and crunching numbers all day wasn't really the right fit. And so a good element of working for a big organization is that they have got lots of different roles and lots of different opportunities. So I was able to sort of have a bit of a look around and financial planning at the time was something that the bank did, but it was sort of in its infancy a little bit. And so, you know, I was able to make some inquiries and, an internal opportunity came up and, and so I was able to to get that and I guess that got me started um, and I did find that I really enjoyed it um, and I guess I sort of considered that part of my financial planning career as a bit of an apprenticeship but I did find that it was a challenge and a conflict trying to give advice whilst being employed by a product manufacturer <laughs> which of course is that's what's come out in the Royal Commission recently and, and these sort of things, you know. So it got to the point in 2006 where I, I left the bank. Um, I decided I, I did want to, I enjoyed financial planning, but I didn't want to do it anymore in a circumstance where I had that conflict. And so since then, I've ran my own business so that I've got a little bit more control over, over what we do and we can be quite unconflicted in being able to just focus on advice and not have any linkages to product manufacturers. So... That completely captures exactly what you are teaching, financial autonomy. You're embracing the autonomy, creating freedom for yourself by extracting yourself from the control of external factors, deciding what you want, what you love. And you're obviously passionate about what you do. After 20 years, you are still educating and inspiring others. That's beautiful. You are the living, breathing model of what you teach. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be just, you know, here's, here's the theory. I want to be able to give examples and, and I want to be able to live it and breathe it myself too, and I, as I'm sure you guys do too. So, yeah, I mean, that's the way it is, isn't it? That, that's the way we love to live, the way we love to practice, and it's the way we are. Living in your truth is really important. Mm. Good way of putting it, yeah. And if you're not, you're not living in authentic authenticity, you know, with who you are and 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 what you're doing. Dead on, yep. Good observation. So true. 
Well, Paul, we are already at the end of our podcast. It's been so interesting, educational and refreshing to talk about money in an empowering way. Do you have any final wisdom that you'd like to share with our Empty Nester listener? I think just embrace the opportunity with optimism and positivity. You know, you've got to the point where your kids are off your hands and and so you've done maybe your most important job perhaps, you know, you've produced the kids, you've got them through to adulthood and and they're off and on their way and now's an opportunity for a a new phase in your life and an exciting phase. And so, um, yeah, I think just embrace it and be optimistic, be positive and um, make the most of it, you know. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful time. Amazing. Love it. Positive optimism. Well, thank you, Paul. Thank you for being an amazing guest and for sharing all your nuggets of wisdom. We are certain you have awakened a spark of excitement in our empty nesters to the possibility that they can reignite their dreams by becoming financially autonomous and taking charge of their future and their success. What you do, your book, your podcast, your business is helping your clients to achieve that financial autonomy. If you, the listener, would like to get in touch with Paul, we will have all his details in the show notes. Thank you again, Paul. Wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on, guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's been our pleasure. Thanks very much, Paul, for coming on today. It's been great, and we've really enjoyed this conversation with you today. I'm sure we'll you know, we'll speak with you again very, very soon. Beauty. This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening.